on the show today. We have a lot to talk about, just not a lot of topics to talk about. Today we are focusing on Rick Warren and we will be discussing his recent interview with Russell Moore. It was a great interview and we have a lot to say about it, so let's get to it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so grateful that you're joining us again this week. And um, if if this is your first time uh, joining us, uh, we will mention that the religionless does not necessarily apply to us. Um, We fancy ourselves as Christian folk, but the world that we're in, and especially the country, is becoming increasingly religionless, very secular. So, that's in part where the name comes from, and in today's show, like we try to do every week, we're going to try to navigate the news as it pertains to Christians and figure out really how to understand it and um, live in this crazy world with our eyes fixed on Christ. That's the goal. That's what we're going to try to do today. So uh, as Nikki said, we don't have a lot of topics to discuss, but we have a lot to discuss from our topic So um, we're also, just for show notes, we're not going to be discussing a Bible-specific topic this week. Um, Again, if you're new here, we've been going through Knowing Sin, the book by Mark Jones. But since most of our show, or really all of our show today, is going to be Bible-centered, we figure we'll push the Mm -hmm. Bible topic off for next week and get back to it then. So before we get to all the news topics that we have, honey, is there anything you'd like to say? Any prayer requests, anything like that? Yeah, just keep praying. We find the church we should go to. Maybe we could go to any of them that we try out. I just don't want to be too picky. Um, We really miss our old church in Florida. So it's kind of hard to find something like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so just pray that we are led. to the church that God would want us to be at, be in fellowship with and learn. So, Yeah, please be in prayer for that. And then also just pray for me. I'm finding it hard to um, like rekindle the flame for the job I'm going back to. Um, It's a job I've done for 14 of the 17 years. Well, I'd say probably 12 of the 17 years that I've been in the Air Force so far. And Never really liked it all that much. There's times when it's been all right, but that's what the Lord's put me uh, here to do for these final two and a half years. And I just need to get the motivation because it is a serious job, what I have to do. And it is dangerous as well um, if you're not being careful and paying attention to what's going on. So I just pray that, uh, and I just ask that you would pray that I would, you know, find the motivation to uh, work hard get myself requalified again for the fourth time to do this. So uh, just pray for me there. I'm having a bit of a struggle. It is great. There's a lot of old friends at the squadron, which is nice to see them again. Um, So that part is cool, but it's just, you know, the job is not really my cup of tea, but it's what I have in front of me. So I just want to do it to the best of my ability. And Before we roll into uh, our discussion on Rick Warren, I do want to get our um, plugs out of the way here. You guys know we are proud members of the Christian podcast community, happy to do so or happy to be so. 
there's about 60 good Christian podcasters on there. And it's a great resource for you if you are the sort that like to listen to Christian podcasts because you can subscribe to one feed and you get access to all 60 of them in there covering all different topics of, you know, things pertaining to the Christian world. And it's funny, I actually, on our podcast hosting website, some we have a function where you can sort of cross promote, you know, if somebody has a podcast, they can reach out to you and say, hey, do you want to plug my show or whatever? And some guy had reached out to me and he has a Lord of the Rings podcast, <laughs> apparently. And he's reached out and he's like, hey, you know, J.R.R. Token is a very religious man. There's a lot of religious you know, symbolism and such in the Lord of the Rings, which is true. He's like, do you want to cross promote shows? You know, some of your listeners may find this interesting. And I kind of toyed around with it for a bit. And then I had to get back to him. I was like, you know, I'm part of a great Christian podcast community already. And I think if I'm going to be plugging any shows here, <laughs> I'd probably mm. do best to plug the Christian podcast community shows. Yeah. So I told him, thanks for the offer, but I'll have to decline because if I'm going to direct you guys anywhere... I really just want to direct you to Christian Podcasts. <laughs> so yeah. um, go find Christian Podcast Community on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and uh, give them a sub, and I think you'll be blessed for it. And lastly, uh, Team Cardinal from Cardinal Contingency Solutions. I'm sure you guys have seen in the news recently, um, France is on fire, <laughs> and uh they're protesting and they're rioting all over the country because they're going to raise the retirement age by two years. And, um, you know, I saw this little picture here and I thought, you know, what are you going to do if this is your street? Say you're a missionary in France trying to plan a church and you live on this street. Um, what are you going to do? Do you have a game plan for that? Or is your game plan just to huddle in the corner of your house and cry and pray and hope things settle down. That's a plan for sure, but it's not a great plan. Um, a great plan would be to reach out to Cardinal Contingency Solutions and see what they have to say about such situations and how they can um, help prepare you. Because you might say, well, it's France. Yeah, it's a little bit crazy there, but they're going to settle down. It's France. Sure, maybe it's France. I mean, never mind the fact that the French Revolution is what basically created guillotines to chop people's heads off. But sure, it's France. But what if you're in Algeria <laughs> and something like this happens? Do you feel quite as comfortable in Algeria? I wouldn't. So, uh, you know, just you don't have to go out there without a plan is what I'm telling you. Cardinal exists and they can prepare you. It's what they do. They're the best in the world at it. Send them an email. Give them a phone call. Um, see how they can help prepare you or your missionary team, your church, um, to go and spread the gospel far and wide in all these exotic and dangerous lands. Um, I'm sure you'll be blessed. So, all right. Cue the music. It's warranted this week because we're discussing the state of Western Christianity. <laughs> so, gird up your loins, steal up your soul, and prepare as we make our way through the valley of the shadow of death and take a look at the news of the week. And uh, <laughs> I did write down a few notes here before we dive into Rick Warren, uh, just because I thought they were worth mentioning, though I don't care to discuss them too much. Um, 
Obviously, Donald Trump was in the news this week with a potential arrest on the horizon at the time of recording this. He has not been arrested. So maybe that was all bluster. Who knows? Um, mm. But the reason it's not that important, like what else is new, right? The mainstream media, the satanic left, they've been trying to ruin and bury Donald Trump since 2015. Nothing's changed. And to this point, nothing's happened. So not really worth mentioning. If it does happen, we'll probably discuss it. Yeah. Because I guess <laughs> the arrest of a former president's kind of big news. Kind of. Um, <laughs> and then also, I did want to mention this, and maybe as a prayer request that I just forgot to mention, please pray for the state of New Mexico, where we now reside. Uh, New Mexico is continuing to push forward and really show their hand in regards to their hatred for children created by God and made in his image. And this is just, uh, this news article here is just the latest evidence of that. Um, Governor Grisham, she has just signed an abortion rights bill that overrides local ordinances that were aimed at limiting access to abortion mm. procedures. Apparently, there are a couple of counties in New Mexico that actually cared about children and the life of those precious babies. And she overrode that and um, is paving the way for abortions in those counties as well. And the bill also aims at, of course, you know, providing more access to gender affirming health care, as they of like course. to call it. So, um, you know, Satan is thriving here in New Mexico. So just please pray for New Mexico. Please pray that these wicked and evil leaders would be you know, brought to repentance um, and turned yeah. from their evil ways. And if not, that they would be removed from office and righteous men and women would take their place because um, New Mexico sorely needs it. All right, enough of that, though. Now, what we really wanted to discuss, um, again, is that recent interview um, with Rick Warren, and it was on the Russell Moore podcast he has a podcast. I don't know if it's just on Christianity Today, but that's where we listen to it on, the Russell Moore Show. And uh, this was an interview that took place back on March 8th, but March 8th was kind of right as we were getting ready to move, pretty chaotic time. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the bandwidth really to sort of sit down and digest this whole interview. So we wanted to get to it, though, because we think it's important um, not to, you know, not just for the fact that Rick Warren is a very prominent name in American Christianity. Um, but just what he's discussing has become a very hot button issue in uh, our society today. So we wanted to discuss it. And he did also, I think, come under some heat for some of the comments that he made from the Christian crowd. Um, so we think, again, just worth discussing. This is a Christian podcast, yeah, of course, and this is what we care about, right? So, um, as we do with sort of most of our sort of podcast, YouTube video discussions, we're just going to kind of pull out points here that we thought were interesting and use them as discussion points. And I will play a couple of audio clips, just not a lot. Um, so I guess the original intention is Russell Moore, Moore points out in this podcast, the original intention was going to be how, um, how to pass the baton as a pastor. You know, when you make the transition from a 
lifelong ministry like Rick Warren did, how do you pass that on? How do you leave it to the next generation? And this is certainly, I mean, this on its face, I mean, this alone would be worthy of listening to and hearing about because Mm -hmm. super important topic. And I actually just heard um, a podcast not long ago on a similar topic. The, The MacArthur Center has a podcast and they interviewed John MacArthur about the same thing. You know, who's going to replace John MacArthur? How do you do it? And I think, you know, regardless of how you feel about either of the two pastors, um, I believe they both have a lot to offer in this realm as far as transitioning out of the senior pastor role. I mean, Rick Warren served Saddleback for 43 years. He was the founding pastor there. Um, John MacArthur was not the founding pastor of Grace Community Church, but he's been there for 53 years and counting. So, you know, definitely whenever MacArthur transitions out, that's going to be huge um, for that church. And it was the same way for um, Rick Warren. So I think just for that aspect alone, these two men have a lot to offer um, in that realm. So Yeah, they both have pretty big churches. I mean, I don't know how many John MacArthur... Yeah, I mean, John MacArthur is certainly not nearly as big as Saddleback, but but they would both be considered mega churches. Yeah, that's just a lot of people. You want to leave them in good hands. Right. I mean, that's, you know, your spiritual, you know, Mm -hmm. fruit that you've spent a lifetime cultivating. So, and we'll get into that, um, some of those discussions as well. So um, we'll have links to both this podcast by Russell Moore. I'll also link the MacArthur Center if you want to hear MacArthur's take on transitioning out of um, his pastorship. So you can give both of those a listen. But uh, we do want to make the point also here, we're not just going to be sitting here bashing Rick Warren (laughs) for an hour. Um, We certainly have a lot that we disagree with um, here, and we're going to make our disagreements known. Um, but we also have some that we agree with. Um, and a lot of that has to do with his, you know, m- transitioning and his ministry and stuff like that. So we're going to try to be fair, you know, um, but we will, of course, start with the negative, get that out of the way and uh, maybe finish with some highlights at the end here. And if you do decide to go and give this podcast a listen, it's really only the first 25 minutes. It's about an hour podcast, 55 minutes. And it's really only the first hour where they're kind of discussing the woman um, pastorate idea. And then the rest of it is sort of that pastoral transition. So 30 minutes on that. So, you know, it's a fairly well broken up podcast. If you're in, if you're like, ah, I don't really care about the women stuff. It's kind of, you know, or, hey, I don't care about the transitioning pastor. I just want to know what he has to say about the woman. Um, well, it's about half the podcast is one topic, halves the other. So um, there you go. All right. Um, So basically, as you get into this podcast, really, right from the jump, (laughs) you know, it's funny uh, to me. Well, I guess it's not funny. I'm going to make I'm going to talk about him making a joke out of it. So it's not very funny. Um, But he brings up jokingly, um, that he's joining the former SBC support group. You know, Rick Warren is now joining Russell Moore and Beth Moore, who have all either, I guess, left on their own or they've been expelled. I don't know exactly what happened with Russell Moore and Beth Moore. Um, Yeah, I don't know either. But apparently they're not in the SBC either. Um, 
And then he goes on to claim that being kicked out didn't surprise him. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was odd, the way that he sort of just jokingly said this, because this is fairly recent. I mean, this Band-Aid was just ripped off. And, you know, I didn't hear any sort of remorse or any sort of sadness in those statements from him. And again, it was almost jokingly, um, especially in regards to him being in this support group. Yeah, it shouldn't be something you're joking or being sarcastic over. Like it is, it is a big deal. And yeah, like there should be remorse, or yeah, it you just shouldn't be that. taken lightly and joked about. Yeah, I mean, I, as far as I know, he's been a part of the SBC since his church has been founded. I would guess. I, I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but again, you would think that a member of a convention for decades and really an active and very prominent member, probably the most prominent member of the SBC for decades, you'd have a certain level of like reflection mm -hmm. about what's happened, the relationships that have been severed and these sorts of things. But you didn't get a sense of that. And you really didn't get a sense of that at all throughout this entire podcast from Rick Warren or Russell Moore no. for that matter. I mean, there was no remorse on Moore's part either. And really this idea, uh, I think, of a lack of reflection um, or even really any sort of humility was kind of highlighted by the fact that, um, you know, first off, he said that it didn't surprise him, which is bizarre to say. But then he says um, he claims that he wasn't surprised because Saddleback has done so many things not by the book. So kind of he even goes back from the very beginning. You know, he mentions that one of the things right from the start that they did that was sort of against the grain of the Southern Baptist Convention is they didn't put Baptist in the name of their church. So their church is Saddleback, you know, church, right? It's not Saddleback Baptist Church. Hmm. Um, and when he said that, I can't help but think that that was done specifically to be more seeker friendly. Hmm. Um, yeah, I never thought about that because... I guess I didn't know for the longest time that it was Baptist. I had no idea that it was a Southern Baptist church mm -hmm. until this yeah. fallout last year started. Um, but I'm assuming that that was done on purpose because if you say this is a Baptist church, right? And I think this is probably true for most non-denominational churches, maybe to some degree. But I think why this was interesting to me is we've mentioned a church on this show before called the Cross Church that is in... Um, Pensacola. Pensacola. We've uh, highlighted a couple of their sermons on here before. Really like them, but they did a short sort of short little podcast from the pastor, and he was explaining why they were going to put Baptist or maybe Reformed Baptist, I can't remember, on the exterior of their building. And he was like, you know, for a long time we debated it, but we want people to know when they're looking for a church that this is like this is a Reformed Baptist church. That's what you're going to get when you get into this building because, mm -hmm. and he made the point, and I think he made it rightly, the church is for believers. You're not trying to trick somebody in right. so that you can kind of, oh, you know, feed them a little bit of, you know, theology that they're, they weren't suspecting. You want people to want to be there in a sense. Yeah. So he kind of went the opposite way, like, hey, we didn't have the name Baptist on the exterior and we feel like we should. We want people to be aware of what they're walking into. Whereas Rick's going, ah, we specifically didn't want people to know we had any affiliation with the SBC at all. And I just think that that's a seeker 
mindset, yeah, right? Cast the net wide. Um, that's kind of the what you look for in a church, though. You want to know what is it attached to? What are their beliefs? And the name shows the beliefs or the doctrines they believe in. That would make it easier in finding a church for us, too, if it was well, just... <laughs> And again, that's the seeker mindset, right? Because for a believer, that's absolutely important. When we're looking through churches, you know, we're doing it right now in New Mexico. And it's hard to find a church when it's, you know, non-denominational or whatever. And you're trying to like comb through these terrible doctrinal statements. And you're like, "Ah, I don't really know if this is something that, you know, but if you're not a believer... Mm-hmm. then that is a benefit because maybe you have ideas about what a Baptist or a Methodist or a Lutheran believes, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. So if it's just, if this is just church, we're just a church loving the Lord, right? Like it's easier for them. But yeah, if you're a believer, you definitely want to know what they stand for. That's a, <laughs> a very big thing when you're looking for churches. Yes. Um, so I just thought that was a fascinating point. It's not the only thing seeker sensitive, I think, that he says that we'll get into here. Um, but he makes the case also, and again, in the idea of not having any reflection, he makes the case that it's the SBC that has changed. <laughs> and that's why he's kicked out now. He says in there that it's a different convention than it used to be, um, which is, I think, an important thing to note here because he was kicked out over rules that were passed at least as far back as 2000, so 23 years ago, because that's when they signed the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message, which is what the convention is like their governing document on their statement of faith. So things may have changed. He would have known that they changed. Yeah, He would have known that they changed because it happened decades ago. And you don't (laughs) willingly go against if they, even if they've changed, you need to just decide if you shouldn't be a part of it anymore. Right. And like, even the idea that if they did change, you're like, oh, they changed, you know, for 23 years, they never, you know, actually believed in what they claimed to believe. But now, doggone it, they do. How dare they uphold the rules they say that they're supposed to uphold? I don't know. He just seems like wishy-washy because at one point he's like, not surprised they kicked him out. In another sense, he is surprised. I don't know. Yeah, it just... The whole thing from the beginning of it kind of just struck me as a, a lack of humility or reflection, and then just sort of, you know, it's the victim mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Pushing the blame on them. Yeah. It's their fault. They did this wrong. They changed, not me. Even though he makes very evident in this, he in fact changed. The whole first half of this podcast is about his change and what spurred it. <laughs> so the whole podcast is hey, I've read the Bible and I'm reading it in a new way now. Yeah, so he is I've the one who changed. But then he's like, wait, wait a minute, you changed. And they're like, no, dude, this has been our statement of faith for 23 years at least. They haven't changed their interpretation of scripture. Yeah. You have. Very yeah. funny. Uh, not funny. Again, I'll keep saying that because it's just a common phrase for me, but not funny. Um, <laughs> so Russell Moore in here, he goes on and he says, So Rick Warren says, I wasn't surprised at all. I was kicked out. But Russell Moore says he was bowled over that they kicked uh, Warren out. Um, And then he goes on to say why he was bowled over is because of all the crises regarding the treatment of women, sexual abuse allegations the SBC is dealing with. Saying that a church is giving women too much is really not the problem. 
So that's his, you know, I'm astounded, Russell Moore says, that they would kick you out because of all the problems that they're currently dealing with. So in Russell Moore's mind, you can assume that building on error, adding error to error is the better option. Just because they're dealing with other things doesn't mean they can't deal with this. Right. Like, so in his mind, he's saying, you did something wrong in the past. These abuse allegations, which we've talked about. So the best thing now is to overlook the wrong things that you're currently doing. <laughs> like, so be wrong here in order to fix the wrong that you did back there. That's essentially his mindset, right? Why would they kick you out for going against their Baptist faith and message when they have all these other problems they're dealing with? Just sweep that problem under the rug for now. That's what he's saying. <laughs> like, and we just got to say, this is a completely improper mindset, right? For a Christian, um, yeah. you correct errors when you find them, and then you defend against future errors when they pop up. That mm -hmm. just makes sense. And I'm sure if you asked Russell Moore in a normal situation, he would agree to that. Um, you don't just overlook new sins because you overlooked previous sins. I mean, this is essentially the argument we have with our kids almost every day. You know, they're not supposed to watch TV before school in the morning. We homeschool them. Well, me and Nikki are busy and we don't just like being in arguments with our kids endlessly. So every day for a week, they might get up and, you know, first the TV gets turned on at 8.30 for 20 minutes of cartoons or whatever. And then it's 8.15, you know, whatever. But then by Friday, they wake up at 7 and the TV's on for an hour and a half. And we're like, turn the TV off. And they're like, we're allowed to watch it. And you're like, since when? Well, nobody cared yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, you knew it was wrong yesterday. But out of the grace of me and mom's heart, we didn't yell at you yesterday. That doesn't mean it becomes the new rule, right? It just means you have to fight every battle. Yes. Or you're just digging a pit. So shame on yourself. us as parents. We <laughs> repent for not fighting. But this is essentially what Russell Moore is saying. Well, you didn't kick the kids off the TV yesterday. So you might as well let them watch TV today. And you know what? You might as well let them eat ice cream for breakfast too. Because you didn't kick them off the TV yesterday. Like... <laughs> That's a stupid idea. Um, and, uh, yeah. So just uh, we disagree wholeheartedly with Russell Moore on that stance. Correct the errors in the past. Defend against the errors that you currently see. So um, we do want to play this uh, first clip here from Rick Warren. I hope that I have it in the right spot here. Let's see. And then we'll come back and discuss it of pastors to be held by men qualified by scripture yeah, yeah. and Saddleback now has women pastors. How do you see that? Well, in the first place, Southern Baptists have always been anti-creedal. I grew up with the phrase, we have no creed but Christ. We have no book but the Bible. Yeah. So he says there, <laughs> Southern Baptists has, have always been anti-creedal. Um, you know, he says again that they have no creed but Christ no book but the Bible, which is a fantastic saying. I think I would wholeheartedly agree with that. And again, that sounds really great. But the problem is, you obviously have agreed <laughs> to adhere to the 2000 Baptist faith and message. That's part of becoming an SBC-affiliated church. This is where he's getting to, they've changed. 
yeah, like they've changed, I guess, because they're making me actually hold to a statement of faith that I agreed to 23 years ago, right? So you might say, ah, well, we've never really cared for that. But again, you agreed to it. That's part of right. being an SBC affiliated church. Um, oh, I think there's a little bit more I wanted to play on here. Let's go back in here and see if we can get caught back up with the rest of this. Everybody in the SBC believes in the inerrancy of scripture. Now we're talking about difference of interpretation. Those particular passages, Titus, Timothy, and, and Corinthians, have hundreds, literally hundreds of interpretations. Yeah, so sorry. We should have just played that all at once. So um, again, you know, he's anti-creedal, but he has signed a statement of faith that he adhered to. And then he goes on to say, I think maybe the more astounding part, he claims that this idea of women pastorate is an interpretation dispute. Mm -hmm. And he says that first, first Timothy, Titus, and then Corinthians um, have hundreds of interpretations. And we're going to come back to that later. I just want to highlight that now. We're going to come back to that later when he discusses what led him in this new direction that women should be pastors. Um, but very interesting statement there in both respects, right? Again, like Nikki said, this is more, you know, the Southern Baptist conventions change. You know, it's, I always knew they were going to kick me out. I'm not surprised. Um, we've always been anti-creedal and you're like, you've been a Southern Baptist member for 40 years or whatever. You signed the Baptist confession, confession of faith. What are you talking about? Right. It, it's just that victimhood mentality. Um, mm -hmm. and then one thing that I wish Russell Moore would have asked him, um, but he didn't ask him if he would have asked if Rick disagreed with the confession entirely mm -hmm. or what else did he disagree with? Cause I think that would have been a fascinating thing to know. Like, cause he does ask him at one point, you know, he says, well, if Saddleback Church baptized babies, then people would say, well, sure, there's plenty of churches that do that, but that's not a Baptist church. And Rick Warren acknowledges that. He goes, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, part of being a Baptist, right, is we baptize adults. That's, you know, that's, as me and Nikki have discussed, that's one of the big differences between a lot of like Baptists and Presbyterians. They're that Pado versus Credo Baptist. So mm -hmm. Russell Moore asked him, hey, if you guys decided to baptize children and they kicked you out for that, would that make sense? Because Baptists don't baptize children. He's like, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, if Baptists don't ordain women, according to your own confession of faith, should you be kicked out for that? And he's like, absolutely so he not. Thinks, <laughs> he thinks that the baptism part is a bigger deal than women pastors? Apparently. I mean, he thinks that's something you ought to adhere to. And, you know, he does make a point here. Uh, he talks about a book that he had read by Albert Moeller. And he makes a point that there's, you know, he talks about essential issues, non-essential, and then, you know, like whatever, tertiary, whatever the word he uses is. And he says, like, essential ones are worthy of splitting a denomination for non-essentials are worthy of splitting a church for, and then the tertiary ones are 
you know, worth having a discussion over or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing terribly here. So he makes the point that like this ordaining women thing is not an essential issue, right? It's not a salvation issue. So you should not be splitting a denomination over this. Um, but again, this is Rick Warren, his own interpretation of it. And we've already seen, right, that he's picking and choosing. Ordaining women, that's okay because Rick Warren says it is. Baptizing children, sure, kick me out. That makes sense because Rick Warren agrees with that. He's so, basing everything off his private interpretation and not the SBCs. Which is interesting yeah. because he also mentions that in here. Very early on in the episode, he says, I believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Um, he says, but what I don't believe in is in the inerrancy of your interpretation. And then he also says, or the inerrancy of my interpretation, yep. which is a true statement, right? I think everybody, if they're being honest with themselves, would say, I'm probably wrong somewhere in my theology. Mm -hmm. I think that's just being honest with ourselves. Um, but then again, you know, when you come up to an issue like this, where everybody in your sort of convention is like, hey, man, you're wrong. Scripture, you're just like, no, I'm just bulldogging. <laughs> I'm Rick Warren. I wrote the purpose driven life. Get out of my way. Um, I'm obviously prideful. just, uh, well, but I don't maybe. think, I know he was trying to be like humble and saying like, you know, I could be wrong in my interpretation. And I think, I think we should be confident in our interpretation. If it's something we have studied and we've seeked, uh, you know, counsel on it, um, to confirm or understanding it, I think we are supposed to have, um, just assurance and understanding, be certain of what we believe of. We can't say it's our interpretation. It's, it's the it means what it means. It's not like your private interpretation. And right. So I think like, it's just a weird way to put it like a false humility. Like, Oh, I could be wrong. Don't have that mindset of every interpretation you have that, well, it could be wrong. Like, no, you have to know when something is true or else then why believe the gospel at all? Maybe your interpretation's wrong. You know, like, what are you applying that to? Right. And I'm sure in his, I mean, I, I haven't listened to a ton of Rick Warren's sermons, but I would be willing to guess he didn't caveat everything he said. Right. And every sermon wasn't like, well, you know, but at least that's just what I believe. Who's to say, who knows if, you know, in the beginning God created or, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm sure he didn't do that. So again, <laughs> it might just be a, a bit of trying to be humble here, I guess, in a sense, although there is truth to it. But yeah, you're not going to go to a church where a pastor's like, now today I'm going to tell you what I think about, you know, Second Chronicles 10, though I'm probably wrong. <laughs> so buckle up. Like, no, you're going to assume that he did the work, he studied to show himself approved, and you're getting a solid message. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I just think that that's a good point for most of us that are believers. Um, to not be so prideful to not take advice or counsel from other godly men. I mean, this is how iron sharpens iron. Mm -hmm. When you come up to something and you go, hey, I really, I think this is what it's saying. And you have like 10 godly people around you and they all go, nah, man, I think you're getting that wrong. Maybe, you know, you got to look at this, whatever that, you know, look at this verse. And mm -hmm. 
you're getting it wrong. You go, okay, yep, yep. I see what you guys are saying. But when you're just like, I think it says, you know, this, and everyone goes, you're dead wrong. You're just like, no, I'm not. All 20 of you are dead wrong. And yeah. I'm right. Like, yeah. you might be, sure, right? I mean, Martin Luther was right, <laughs> you know, in his day. Um, but that happened, you know, once in 2,000 years. But so he, he yeah. interprets scripture with scripture, not with your opinion. Yeah, very, very strange thing here. So I want to play this second. I think this might be the last audio clip that we have. Um, so let's give uh, former pastor Rick Warren another listen here. But but that word has changed because now we have fundamental Methodists, I mean, excuse me, fundamental Muslims, mm-hmm. fundamental Buddhists. We have fundamental atheists. We have fundamental communists. We have fundamentalists who are secularists. It, today, a fundamentalist means you've stopped listening. Mm. <laughs> Man. Nothing I hate more than fundamentalist communists of all the fundamentalists, <laughs> those fundamentalist communists. Now, um, yeah, so he's talking about this term fundamentalist. And he mentions in here how, you know, back in the day, he was a fundamentalist. But again, like the SBCs changed, the word fundamentalist has changed, not Rick Warren. You know, mm-hmm. so he says this word fundamentalist you know, what it used to mean, right, was you just believed in scripture, the word of God, all these sorts of things. He's like, but now the word fundamentalist means you've stopped listening. And I thought, boy, does that say a mouthful about Rick Warren and his entire church, and really the entire church movement that he's a part of. This seeker-sensitive church is all Mm -hmm. about listening, and not just listening, but accommodating, right? That's the point of the seeker-sensitive church. They listen to those whom mm-hmm. they ought to be instructing. That's yeah. the big problem, right? They take their cue from the crowd rather than instructing the crowd on how they ought to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if it's something like uh, you want a rock concert before the message, you bet. We'll give you a rock concert. You don't want us to talk about sin? No problem. We're not going to talk about sin, right? You want women pastors? Whatever you say. That's mm-hmm. what the culture demands. The crowd demands it. You're the boss, not scripture. Oh, that just reminds right. me, we were listening to that Mark Driscoll podcast, the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and how they really do have like, it's a, it's a business plan. It's, it's marketing. And they do, they go out and they survey the neighborhood that they want to plant a church in and see what the people like, what would get them to come come to church if they don't come to church. And that's that's what they do. And then they yeah. keep surveying the people after they're there and just see if there's anything else they like or not like. Yeah, I mean, and Rick Warren is maybe the most famous of them that did that. I mean, we've talked about the Saddleback Sam mm, on yeah. here before. I mean, he had a person he was going for when he planted that church in Orange County. Um, and that doesn't change, right? You keep your sort of finger in the air, see which way the winds are blowing. I um, mean, you sort of just accommodate as best you can. I mean, again, he's not out here saying, you know, there's a thousand roads to heaven or, you know, to God or anything. He's not going to that extreme, but you're making accommodations based on what those outside the church want you to accommodate to. That's the seeker sensitive, sensitive model in a nutshell. And, uh, so I just think that, again, 
that's sort of that victimhood from Rick Warren, right? They all changed. I didn't change. I'm still a traditional fun. It's like, why did he just say I've, I've changed and I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. Like what's wrong with him just saying, I disagree. I've learned something new. Well, and he does say that. And we always warn, like, and we'll warn today, right? Something new. Be leery of new. Well, he says that, but I mean, like, can't he just say, I've moved on. I've changed. Just come out and confess it. Well, that's everybody that's a victim. You always say, just own up to it, man, and people will forgive you. But there's just something in the human nature that prevents us. I mean, obviously it's sin, but it just prevents us from owning up to our mistakes. I mean, right? This is how... (laughs) Black Lives Matter's movements take off, um, you know, the feminist oppression Olympics takes off. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's oppressed. It's a whole lot easier to say the whole system's against you than to go, yeah, I think I got that wrong. (laughs) I think I treated somebody poorly there before. The victim mentality, it's it's in everything in society, and that's why things are changing. And it's infecting the church big time. Yeah. I mean, scroll through Twitter and see what the feminist supposed Christians have to say about how women are handled in church. I mean, you think it's, you know, the fifth century in Mongolia, the way women are treated. You're like, you guys are crazy. It's just the oppression Olympics. So uh, going on through here with some more points that he brings up, something he did over and over again. Um, throughout this podcast is he often conflates the idea of ministry with elder and pastor or church overseer, whatever word you want to use there. And he keeps kind of making the point that, you know, if women aren't ordained or they're not allowed to be pastors, then they can't fulfill the great commission. You know, he keeps making that point. So I thought, you know, and they didn't ask him this question. And I will say overall, Russell Moore, I think, did a good job with the interview. You know, you always want the interviewer to be like, go after him and attack him, right? You know, put him in a corner. But you can do that once. But then once every one of these, you know, you do that to Rick Warren, no other mega church pastors ever coming on your podcast, right? So I think he did a good job of probing him without being terribly aggressive, but just giving him room to talk. So I think Russell Moore did a good idea, but I thought a good question to ask him on this idea where he's kind of saying, well, unless you can ordain women, they can't really fulfill the Great Commission, is to Mm -hmm. ask him, you know, well, do you think then that no women at Saddleback Church have served the ministry for the last 40 years until you just decided to ordain women a year and a half ago or whatever? So all these women have just been wasting their time for 40 years because you didn't ordain them. I guarantee he would have pushed back and said, no, no, no. The women at Saddleback giving spirits, which we would all agree with, right? We'd be like, yeah, of course. You can serve. He gets these titles confused, like preaching the gospel is not the same as teaching over somebody or teaching a flock. like. If a woman shares the gospel with a man, she is not putting herself in a spiritual authority over that man. Um, that's, not, that's not the same thing. He's looking at that as 
as teaching and a woman can't even share the gospel right and that's the great commission it's like those are not the same thing at all we're all called to share the gospel but we're not all called to be teachers and pastors like no i don't know how you can miss that (laughs) but he conflates that a lot i mean multiple times in this podcast where you know if we don't ordain women, then we close the door on them being able to fulfill the Great Commission. Mm-mm. Like that's just that's absolutely the Great not Commission true. is sharing the gospel. And we've said that before. It doesn't stop there. It's teaching everybody to follow all the commands that Jesus taught. Right. And there's even a wide gulf between being a pastor, overseer, whatever, and just being in ministry. Yeah. Right. You can be in a ministry and you can be serving the people of God, serving the lost in this world, reaching the lost without overseeing a church. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very niche and specific position that mm-hmm. they're saying this is biblically not allowed for women to do. Whereas he's conflating that with going, well, women just might as well sit in a corner, eat donuts and drink coffee and shut up. So he's trying to make women think that they're oppressed or, you know, he's trying to stir them up Yeah, because maybe they're ignorant of the scriptures too. Maybe his whole congregation is How dare and they you. believe what Twitter he's saying. Twitter feminists just lost their <laughs> mind when you said that. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. So yeah. I guarantee if you would have asked him, so Saddleback women have been doing nothing for 40 years. There's no way he would have accepted that. So it's like, is pastor the only role? Like there's nothing else to do? Pastor or bust, baby. <laughs> Senior pastor or bust. None like of you this can't associate pastor preach the nonsense. gospel unless you're a pastor. It's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> Basically. Um, and then he goes on, it's kind of the same clip there, and he brings up the idea that um, one guy would stand behind a pulpit preaching wasn't a New Testament idea of worship, he says. And I don't, I think I disagree with him there. You know, he's kind of saying the idea that like, well, even this idea that you just have a pastor at a pulpit preaching, that's not a New Testament idea. Everybody's a preacher. Everybody's a teacher. And sure, in a sense, he's right. Um, But I just wanted to go to Acts chapter 6, verse 2 through 4. It says, And the twelve summoned um, the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching, uh, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, um, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will support or whom, yeah, whom we will support to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So that's the apostles telling them like, hey man, we got to preach the word. That's what we're here for. Nothing wrong with serving tables absolutely needs to be done. We aren't the ones to do it. Um, Because all that does is take us away from prayer, study, and preaching the word. Basically making the point, we as apostles, our calling is to go and preach the word. So you could say that was kind of disagreeing with what Rick Warren's saying here. Yeah, everybody else, you know, should be out there preaching and teaching and sharing and doing all these sorts of things. But that doesn't exclude a a select group of people from being devoted to the study and the preaching of God's word. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, this is why James even tells us, right? Not many are called to be teachers, <laughs> you know, in the sense of that's your job is to teach the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Though everybody should be sharing the gospel, discipling, these sorts of things, but that specific teacher role from the very beginning, the apostles are saying there, that is our role. We are teachers of the word, and that's what we're going to devote our time to. So I would disagree with Rick Warren on this idea that uh, it's never been the case that one guy just gets up there and teaches and everyone. Sounds like that was kind of the idea to me. Mm-hmm. So um, just interesting there, something we disagree with. So that brings us to the verses. Uh, kind of the main point here, what verses, what did Rick Warren actually find in the scriptures um, that got him to change his mind? And the three scriptures, he says it's three scriptures that got him to change his mind. And uh, the first one was the Great Commission, of course. The second one was Pentecost, um, the the story of Pentecost. And then the third one was Mary revealing Jesus's resurrection to the apostles mm-hmm. uh, in Matthew. So the first one there on um, the Great Commission, you know, he, keeps, he talks about how, you know, the Great Commission is to go make disciples, baptize and teach. That's what he keeps harping on. And how are women to do this if they're not ordained, right? This is the Great Commission, he keeps saying, is for everybody. That's for everybody to do. So women aren't excluded there is the point that he sees in the Great Commission. You know, so to Rick Warren, right, you could say after all these years, you could imagine he's probably read the Great Commission verses a thousand times in 43 years, right? Um. But it was that thousandth time of reading it that led him to understand that, in fact, women are called to be pastors. Um, again, making the point that women are a part of this great commission, therefore, or ergo, <laughs> they're called to be pastors. You're in the great commission, you're called to be a pastor. Everyone's in the great commission, therefore, everyone's part, you know, guaranteed to be a pastor. <laughs> okay. Which is funny because you could say the same thing if you're like, okay, well, um, husbands who have been divorced and remarried are still called to share the gospel, make disciples, right? They're still called to be part of the Great Commission, but they've disqualified themselves from pastorship, Mm -hmm. according to 1 Timothy. Um, Although Mm -hmm. I guess maybe part of that who knows? There's hundreds of interpretations of what it means to be the husband of one wife. Um, but you would say, yeah, of course, they're still supposed to be, you know, sharing the gospel, though they've disqualified themselves from being an, an elder. But yeah. I guess in Rick Warren's mind, the heck they have. I mean, the qualifications are two men, not two women. Well, they're part of the Great Commission, he says. So... Um, you pulled up here, Titus two. Um, so if you want to read Titus two, three through five, just kind of making the point that, yeah, women, of course, are called to be teachers in the realm that God's given them to be teachers. 
So Titus 2, verses 3 and 5 says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Yeah, so, I mean, again, he's sort of just conflating this idea of ministry with eldership. You know, again, saying somehow that women can't fulfill that great commission unless we are going to ordain them as elders. And we would disagree. We think the Apostle Paul would disagree. I think Titus, too, just explained that. You know, they have a realm in which they're to be teachers. And then again, of course, the Great Commission um, is for them. But just like the divorced husband, just like the man who's given to too much drink, right? That's part of being a uh, pastor. You're not given to too much wine. Okay, well, what about the one who is given to too much wine? Is he no longer supposed to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Right. Of course he is, though he's no longer qualified to be an elder. I mean, so there's a distinction there. So we disagree with Rick Warren there as well. Um, Secondly, in the story of Pentecost, and this is from really Acts chapter 2, is where we see the story of Pentecost take place. And let me see what he says here. Yeah, so this story of Pentecost, um, again, the sort of second verse that he says showed him new, because I'm, again, assuming he's read the story of Pentecost hundreds of times. This has led him to a new understanding that women should be ordained. I mean, he claims women were preaching in other tongues on the day of Pentecost is what he says. And, you know, could be wrong, as we used to say on here a lot, we're not theologians, pastors, or apologists, we're just Christians. So again, if we're wrong, please let us know. But I think this is a stretch. And I think you could say, at best, it's a stretch. If not, it's just wrong, as far as when I read the text. Because I think in order to get to where Rick is, then you have to go back, and you have to read um, Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, is where it talks about um, the women that were with them. It talks about Mary, um, you know, that they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her brothers. So you kind of go from there, and then it goes later into Acts 2, which is the day of Pentecost. Um. But to me, when you make that transition and you read from chapter one and it gets into chapter two, um, it sounds to me like they're different days. So they're there, they're in the upper room praying, and then you go to Acts chapter two, verse one, and it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So I think you're, maybe, this is what he's doing, he's sort of lumping Chapter one, they were together in the upper room praying, this and that. 
But then chapter two says, and then when Pentecost arrived, they were all together. So if you're saying, well, they were together then, they're all together now. And you might be right on that. Again, I would say maybe you're you're going to have to sort of read that into it and you might read it improperly, but it's not right there. It doesn't say it plainly right there. Yeah, you can't say it is or isn't, I guess. I know because I was just looking down and when Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he's, he's quoting. Yeah. Because um, it does say, um, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Um, so that's the only part there, just looking at him quoting Old Testament, that you could assume that women were there. Right, because, you know, it says in there, you know, when the Holy Spirit fell and everyone was speaking in different tongues. So he's saying, well, women were there because we just read about women in Acts 1. But again, this sounds like a different day to me. Um, so... But what's interesting is this being a different day, what it does say. So it doesn't say that there's women there specifically. But what it does say, if you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 14, um, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, the eleven are the apostles, those are all men. So that's who Peter's with, according to the book of Acts. That's who it clarifies. And then if you go down to Acts chapter 2, verse 37, it again tells us who Peter's with. And it says, um, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is after Peter's sermon and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles. So two places in the story of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, it highlights who Peter is with, and it only speaks to the apostles. Both times. Now there's crowds and there's men there. It highlights the men in the crowd, but it only mentions the apostles there. No reference is made to women being with them specifically. Or anyone else. Just the 11 um, and those in the crowd. And the only um, mention of women specifically, like Nikki mentioned, is in the prophecy of Joel. And that's Acts 2, verses 17 and 18, where he talks about um, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So he makes mention that, yes, the women will prophesy um, in these, you know, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But again, no even, real mention that just, they're there with him. Even if women were there, I don't think that that supports the argument that women should be pastors. No. I don't think it matters. Because again, there he's saying, well, and this is just my assumption, he's saying, well, in Acts 1, verse 14, women were there. So they're with them there in Acts 2 at the day of Pentecost. The Spirit fell and they're speaking in tongues. And he kind of makes that to be they're preaching to people in tongues. Therefore, they're preachers. Therefore, women are allowed to be ordained. And again, you may say, yeah, that's true. But I think you're sort of, you're reading that into it, which is not actually there. But that's not being an overseer of a church. Nope. That would be far more just teaching, sharing. This is preaching. the move of the Holy Spirit. This right. is not them teaching scripture. And even prophesying. prophesying isn't new, right? I mean, this is, again, the uh, egalitarian feminist, every one of them you talk to will say, well, what about Deborah? Yep, Deborah existed. She was a prophet in the Old Testament like others, right? There were She wasn't the only one. So even that isn't new. 
yet the instruction still came that it was male headship of the church. So, and I think another interesting point, even when you're looking at this, because Rick pointed us to Acts 2, is to go back again into Acts chapter 1, because another thing that happens in Acts chapter 1 is they replace Judas. That's one of the things they're doing. And they talk about what they're looking for when they replace Judas. They're looking for um, someone who has been there with them from the beginning. I think, let me see what it says here. It says, um, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time Mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus was living among us. So then they decide to, between um, Joseph and Matthias. So the question would be asked, why not Mary? Mary's been there the whole time. If women are allowed to be pastors, why can't they be apostles? And if they can be apostles, they can be pastors, overseers, elders. Well, Mary's been there the whole time too. Why no mention of Mary? Why no mention of the other women who have been there? Martha and these two that have been there with, they know Jesus. They're disciples in a sense. Yet there's nothing in Acts 2, I would say, that day of Pentecost to suggest that women were there let alone preaching and teaching. Um, because again, the two references to who the apostles are with specifically, it mentions only the apostles, the men that they're with in verse 14 and 37. Um, so I just think, again, it's a bit of a stretch. Yes. And then that third reason that changed his mind, he mentioned was the story of Mary being the first one to the tomb. And Jesus tells her, you know, in Matthew chapter 28, kind of one through 10, to go and tell the disciples what you've seen, tell them to go to this place and I'll meet them. Um, and again, you might see that and say, well, she's the first one that Christ told to go share the good news. And absolutely. I mean, that says it right there. She was the first one. Uh, but again, I still think you're stretching and you're reading into that, that therefore women are called to be preachers and teachers. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that that's not the reason Christ necessarily chose Mary, but I think all, based on reading the text, you kind of have to want to see that. All that they were, uh, all that she was saying was what Jesus already had taught. That yeah, he was that he came back, like yeah. he said he would. Um. So again, I think all of these verses um are a a stretch at best to try to read into women eldership. Yeah. Um, And this is really my big problem with this whole idea from Rick Warren and what he says about these three verses. Because remember back at the beginning, he says, first Timothy, Titus and first Corinthians, he mentioned, you know, he said, those have hundreds of interpretations you can't put stock in those verses. I mean, my goodness, there's so many interpretations. How can you even, you know, make sense of that? So we just want to read for you guys in case you haven't refreshed yourself on 1 Timothy and Titus in a while. So we'll go to 1 Timothy 3. You know, Timothy and Titus are generally considered the pastoral epistles anyways. Um, But 1 Timothy 3 here, let me get it pulled up so I can read it. Um, Bible Gateway always defaults to the New International Version. 
I'm an English standard version man myself. So most of my references come from the English standard version. If you don't read that version, then they may sound strange to you. Um, but first Timothy chapter three, he says, uh, starting here in verse two, therefore an overseer must be, um, he, then he says a whole bunch of qualifications must be. And that second qualification he lists is the husband of one wife. So there's or the a wife of one husband. <laughs> there is a hundreds of interpretations to the husband of one wife, according to Rick Warren. No, you can't read that any other way. It's it says what it says. This is one of those things where you're you can't say I might be interpreting this wrong. Well, and then if you even go back to First Timothy two twelve, if you want something more clearly laid down, um, the Apostle Paul here in First Timothy says. Um, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. <laughs> Rather, she is to remain quiet. So pretty apparently there's a hundred different interpretations for what that could possibly mean. And then Titus says much the same thing as first Timothy, be a husband of one wife, right? Um, so to Rick Warren, he says these verses cannot be relied upon to determine the proper roles of leadership in a church. Instead, instead of these, as Nikki just pointed out, completely plain, easy to understand explanations from the apostle, he says we need to go to these completely vague scriptures that at best are going to speak indirectly about women. Mm -hmm. And instead, that's where we need to plant our flag. So he just pretends like these other scriptures don't exist. Yeah, he's saying, well, those ones that you just read that are so easy to understand, really vague, tons of different interpretations. But these ones that I just told you, like the Great Commission, the Day of Pentecost, those are rock solid. <laughs> it's completely the other way around. Just like when he said the SBC's out to get him. He's a victim. Yeah. Fundamentalism changed. He's a victim and he has to create other victims. Yeah, he's so wrong on both accounts. Mm -hmm. The verses he's using are completely vague and could mean a lot of things. The ones that he's saying are completely vague are in fact very plain to understand. It just sounds, it's just so simple because he says when he's talking about teaching, um, I don't remember which scripture it was that I read <laughs> already. Um, that women are to teach other women. And then in verse 11 here of 1 Timothy 2, I know I read um, verse 12 already, but verse 11 just says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Like you just pair that with the other scripture. Like this is talking about over a man. Women learn quietly with submissive submissiveness. But right. when they're to teach, they're to teach other women. But this doesn't mean a woman can't share the gospel with, with a man. If no, she is of course not. the only one there. Yeah. It's just it's about the and exercising he specifically authority. Says you're exercising authority. 
right? Male headship is essentially the point he keeps making. Husband of one wife. Yeah. And like, so the idea he's making is ridiculous because there are certainly difficult verses in scripture. I mean, book of Revelation, right? A lot of difficult scripture that you can get a lot of different interpretations on, but these are not those. (laughs) First Timothy, Titus, that is not what these verses are. These are among the most easily understood verses. So if you're going to veer from these verses, there's nothing you won't veer from. He's trying to take you from the easily understood and drag you into the difficult, easily, you know, very vague and trying to make that sort of the foundation. It's just completely backwards. It's like, what is It is like he's trying to find a teaching in the scripture that isn't teaching what he's trying to, yeah, what he's trying to do, I guess. Um, Right. I mean, this is essentially reading in your beliefs. I mean, that's what he's doing. I want women to be preachers. I found some verses that I can make But he's making scripture contradict, and that, number one, you know you are wrong when you you cause scripture to seem to contradict. I would say so. Um, So yeah, those verses, I don't think do him any favors. In fact, I think he's just trying to muddy the waters. I mean, really calling, I mean, again, if you're leading your flock and your congregation to question some of the most clearly defined scriptures, then what won't they question? Yeah. I mean, then how can you even talk to them about baptism? That's a lot more murky. Well, I bet that's you know, something, or something to that effect. They probably did a survey and the people all, you know, the majority probably believe that women should be pastors. So he's trying to make it work for them. Well, right. Of course. I mean, because he came to this new idea two to three years ago, right? As, you know, the feminist movement is sort of thrashing more and more violently, you know, equality, oppression, and all these sorts of things are rising to the surface. So you make accommodations for the women um, rather than standing on the truth of God's word. And uh, I saw a tweet. I can't remember. I tried to screenshot it. And the girl basically said to the, the effect, like, you know, it's always funny how, you know, these new interpretations or these new understanding of God's word always happens to coincide with whatever the latest like cultural whims happen yes. to be. Yeah. Oh, we just realized God's word happens to line up exactly with what the secular left's been saying this whole time. It's amazing. So um, yeah, do not agree with him at all here. And then another thing he kept saying, he said it multiple times. He said that the church at its birth is the church at its best. He made that point multiple times here. And um. Maybe, I guess you could say in a sense, maybe at the right at the birth where all the apostles are there and, you know, they're living together, sharing everything. Maybe in that immediacy, it was the best, you know, but all of the epistles that we have written by the apostles are correcting error in the church. (laughs) So maybe in that immediate Pentecost and right shortly after that, it was the best it should ever and have been. Everything that they're teaching is from Christ. Right. So they're just reminding the them errors. 
of what Jesus said. So the church is never going to be perfect. That's why we have shepherds over us, because we stray and we need to be reminded of God's word, uh, what Jesus taught. And they wouldn't be teaching something that Jesus didn't say. Yeah, no, I mean, so yeah, they're teaching what Christ taught as a correction to what they weren't doing right. Mm-hmm. So maybe in that immediate birth, it was great, but quickly after that, it wasn't, and they were correcting errors. That's what all the epistles are about. And not to mention, even if you broaden it out just a little bit past that, the early church didn't even have a completed canon of scripture. You know, that wasn't done until nearly the 400 ADs, you know, so we today have far more instruction from the apostles on how to live, how to follow after Christ than, yeah. say, a church in Greece in 200 AD. We should be following Christ more closely than right. the early church, honestly, because we have the letters. Well, and what's also fascinating, because he this, again, is a point Rick Warren brings up many times, the church at its birth is the church at its best. So let's go to the church at its birth. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what is Rick Warren not doing? Devoting himself to the apostle Paul's teaching on male headship in the church. He's discounting his own argument. He's like, the church at his birth is the church at his best. What about following the apostles' teaching? Well, that part's not correct. I mean, come on, man. You just, (laughs) come on. So you can't take it serious, right? Um, this is a seeker sensitive. This is the, you know, the Don Juan of seeker sensitive church movement, accommodating the culture rather than instructing the culture. So he's not even doing what he's claiming to do. So how can he possibly expect his flock to do what he instructs them to do? Uh, he doesn't even do what he tells himself to do. So, um, yeah, he's confused. <laughs> Well, he is confused. And yeah. then, funny enough, what he says in here, because um, Russell Moore asks him a question about Saddleback. And he says that, well, at Saddleback, they decided the senior pastor should be a man, regardless of what he believes about women as pastors. You know, this is the old, it's good enough for thee, but not for me, Right. Women should be pastors. Well, what about at Saddleback? <laughs> I mean, not at Saddleback. This is a big church. Those little women brains, they can't handle that. Right? Like, how ridiculous is this? Because, like, why? Why could they not be pastors at Saddleback? This is, the, this is, like, what leads angry feminists to call Christians misogynists and hypocrites yeah. and sexists and the patriarchy. Right? This is what ha- this is how this is birth, right? So he's just saying, "Oh, I'm not doing this because of scripture. I'm doing it because it's what I want." Yeah, he's like, "Well, I mean, of course scripture says women can be pastors, but we've decided as a collection of male pastors here that no woman should be in charge of Saddleback." So their reasoning would be different than scriptures. What was their reasoning? They didn't bring it up, right? But I mean, again, this is what makes people call us hypocrites. And because if you just stood on the word of God, if Rick Warren just said, men are the, are the elders at Saddleback because the word of God tells us that, 
well, sure, the feminists are still going to thrash, but they have no ground to thrash on. They're just thrashing. But when you go, yeah, the Bible clearly explains that women can be pastors. Well, are they the senior pastor at Saddleback? No, we don't allow that here. Why? Because you're a sexist, right? Like, I mean, that invites the argument. And again, not that we should care what they think about us necessarily. Um, but if your whole case is, well, women can be pastors, just not a pastor over me. <laughs> you're just inviting the argument. And sure, it might be fine for Rick Warren. He's big enough, rich enough, famous enough. He can deflect the argument. But Joe Schmo, SBC pastor down the street, he can't. He's just going to be bludgeoned by it. And he's going to be the one dealing with the fallout. So this entire thing from Rick Warren is an entire contradiction of his own argument. It is. Um, it really is. Because he's he's not being humble about it. He's being prideful. And that's what happens in pride. You end up just revealing your your pride, your contradictions. and Right. He's being prideful. Gonna... He's not being humble. And when you don't stand on the word of God, this is where it leads yeah. you to. Constant yeah. contradiction. Right. Because you're trying to make up morals and rules and stuff on your own. Just trust in the word of God. Just stand on it. And, you know, again, maybe your interpretation is wrong on something, but at least stand as best you understand it instead of making these constant contradictions. It it's is just, strange how he says that, though, that I could be wrong in my interpretation. Okay, then why don't you just say you are? But why is he holding so fast to something? that he isn't even 100% sure on. Well, he's apparently the only man in history who's 100% sure on the Great Commission equals female eldership. So, uh, and then the last point here, really, in regards to his, uh, you know, SBC drama, he says that um, near the end of it, he calls the SBC uh, really you want to call it holding fast to their confession of faith. He says that that was an inquisition. <laughs> so he's likening the SBC to the Spanish inquisition coming over and just slaughtering those exerting their power. Right. So again, Rick Warren, as we've kind of said throughout this show so far, like so many in our society, um, he basically does what he's not supposed to do. He breaks the rules that he's agreed to. And then when he gets in trouble for it, well, he plays the victim card, right? Um, now, it's not, of course, his fault for breaking the rules that he agreed to <laughs> 23 years ago. It's the SBC, you see, they're leading an inquisition for all these rule breakers. And Russell Moore is right there to go, yeah, all these other people broke the rules before. So why don't they just let you break the rules today? That stinking inquisition. And then he goes on just to highlight his non-humility. He ends by saying, we don't need the SBC, but the SBC needs the, you know, 6,000 purpose-driven churches around the world. Like, Why? very humble. Why, so, Why would he think that they, that they need them? And what, I, I guess, is there something 6, I'm missing? I mean, maybe they need that. Cashola, I don't know. That comes from the tithe. I don't know why. That's but a just a lack of humility, thing. I would say, to go, yeah, we don't need them. Forget your inquisition. You need us. Yeah. You need our 6,000. And again, 
humble brag to drop 6,000 churches in there, right? So, yeah, I just found him. He came off very prideful, non-reflecting on what's happened to him. He says he's going to appeal this. He is going to appeal it, which, again, if you don't need him, why appeal it? But, you know, he kind of makes the case that he's going to appeal it for the little guy. Um, You know, maybe that's true in his heart. I don't know. But this whole thing, he came off as very contradictory, flip-floppy, really just reaching on scripture, um, and then just very prideful, I think, throughout the whole thing. So I know that took us a lot longer than 25 minutes to get through, but that was really about the first 25 minutes of the podcast. Um, And then from there, it sort of shifted into um, kind of the discussion on pastoral transition, which I think he had some good stuff to bring up about. um, So that's the majority of the negative things we have to say about him, though there's still a few more. um, But there is some positive to bring up here as well. So uh, the first positive, as he was kind of talking about this church transition and why it wasn't quite so hard for him, um, he said that every Sunday or every Saturday and every Sunday, as he would drive to church, he said that he would always say the same prayer. And he would pray to be reminded that it wasn't his church. He was just a steward of it for the time being, um, but that it was God's church. He said he prayed that for 43 years. And I think that is a wonderful prayer for a pastor to pray. Um, Mm -hmm. it should, you know, obviously we said he's been very prideful, but that should squash your pride. You know, this is God's church. He's grown it. I'm simply a steward of what he's done in this place. Um, and he says that that's really helped him when it came time to let go of the reins. Been, I've been saying for 43 years, it's not mine. So who am I to hold on to it? Right. So it is your responsibility. I mean, he knows it's not his, but. You still have responsibility over what you've been right. I don't think he was getting to the point that like, not mine, so who cares, right? But like, it's mine, I care deeply, but I understand it's Christ church at the end of the day. I'm going to die, I'm going to be in a grave somewhere, and they're going to have a new pastor. It's Christ church. So I'm just going to work for the Lord as best I can to be a steward and a, a shepherd over these people but it's his church. I just think that's a good prayer to pray, to remind ourselves, you know, because I think it'd be very easy to be in Rick Warren's shoes and think, I'm the man. I'm the senior pastor of this global mega church brand. Instead of this prayer should hopefully remind you that I'm a slave of Christ just the same, right? Um, You know, we're all equal. We're all in desperate need of a savior. Christ has just given me this opportunity, but when he doesn't, you know, need me doing this anymore. He's going to move it along to somebody else and I need to be okay with that. So I think that's a good prayer to pray. Um, and then he mentions another thing in there about, um, he told himself when he first started Saddleback that he would be there for 40 years. That was kind of his goal. And he said kind of the idea behind 40 years, he started Saddleback when he was 25 and he's like, you know, when you're 25, 65 is ancient, right? So the idea was, I'm going to be here for the long haul. I'm going to be here forever. I'm not going away, was kind of his idea with the 40 years. Um, And I think, like before, this is awesome. This is what a pastor should be saying to themselves. Because a pastor, um, 
position should not be a stepping stone to something bigger or better. Right. Um, You know, I think this is why those who think they're pastors or feel called to be a pastor, you should make that decision with a lot of prayer, very soberly understanding what you're getting yourself into. Again, James says not many are called to be teachers because they'll have a, uh, they'll be judged harsher. Yeah. Right. Like you've got a, maybe the greatest responsibility that you can have as a human on this earth, the shepherd's Christ church. Um, so it should be something that you do for the duration. You know, once you're there, that should be where you are. Not, and again, mm-hmm. this is why I kind of have an issue. You know, Rick Warren talks about in here the qualifications that he looked for in finding a new pastor. And he said he wanted somebody who had planted a church before. And he wanted, you know, I can't remember what other qualification was, but like, that's what he did. He went and got Andy Wood from the church that Andy Wood planted and grew to its own mega church. And I don't like that, right? Like, why would Andy Wood first off want to leave that church? Yeah. And why would you want to take him from that church that he built and grew? And like, to me, that seems weird. The whole idea of a pastor leaving to go take somebody else's church it's one thing if you're the associate pastor, or I was a youth pastor here. Like a head pastor leaving his own church. Yeah, you're the senior pastor, and you're like, I'm going to leave my 3,000-member church to go to the 30,000-member church. Why? Is this not good enough? I mean, again, that's the thoughts that I have. Could be completely wrong. But if you're a pastor at a church, that's your church, man. That's your church. You know them. Like, you should know your flock. I mean, you're not going to know thousands. Um, no. But yeah, that is, that is strange. Yeah. So those were a couple of good things. We do have a, uh, we'll sprinkle in the negative here because <laughs> interestingly, he does bring up COVID in this and how he believes that this is why God didn't call him to step down right at 40 years. So he served 43 years and he wanted to, you know, retire at 40, 40 years. Um, but he says, you know, he was praying and he didn't feel, feel called to step away at 40 years. And then eight weeks later, COVID hits. And he realizes, this is why God called me to stay. This is why he wants me to stay. And he makes the mention that he's the only one that could have led Saddleback through the COVID years. And I would say that's probably true. I don't think that's a, right. a prideful statement. You know, when you build a church to that level, um, and all the different pots that he probably has his hand in, you know, to take somebody and just put them in that position and say, do all the things Rick Warren's been doing, that would drown anybody, you know, because Rick Warren had been taking on those responsibilities one at a time, year after year, you know, so he's used to doing it. So again, I think that's true. And I don't think it's overly prideful to say that. Um, But he does make mention in there that Saddleback didn't have a service for a year and a half. So COVID hit, they locked down, Saddleback shut down. Um, And I do think it's worth mentioning here (laughs) Uh, because Saddleback Church is 46 miles south of Grace Community Church, the church John MacArthur pastors. Both churches are in California and both are subjected to the same insane, you know, governmental intrusions, um, especially the intrusions that happened during the COVID years. So Rick mentions 
Saddleback closed its doors for a year and a half because of, you know, Gavin Newsom told him to, right? He said to close. Um, and that was that, right? Uh, he didn't say that. I'm kind of adding that in. But again, 46 miles to the north, John MacArthur and Grace Community Church, they closed momentarily. Um, but then they opened the doors again, and then they fought against the government mandates, really to the tune of owing nearly a million dollar in, dollars in fines. But then they eventually went to court and won, um, proving that you know our freedom of religion still mattered in this nation, and even more so in the, the craziness of California. But bigger than that, that God's decrees matter. You know, the not forsaking the gathering still matters. And it mattered more than government overreach, you know? So I think that's just an interesting tidbit, right? Because Rick Warren, I don't know what he did behind the scenes, but I didn't read any stories about him fighting in front of the cameras to the same degree that John MacArthur was. And it's a shame because imagine how much quicker things could have turned if you had two of the largest churches in California going, nope, we ain't shutting the doors. Yeah, You can find, you know, you can take us both to court. It's going to cost you $2 million at the end of the day when you lose these cases, right? But Saddleback didn't fight back. So I just think that's an interesting note. And I do want to make mention of this here because this, you know, just a little bit of insight to this podcast and your hosts here. Um, this is one of the main reasons I chose to go to the master's seminary. Uh, if you guys don't know, I'm in seminary. Now I go to the master's seminary, which is the seminary John MacArthur started. And I think he's still the chancellor of, um, but I didn't go there necessarily because I think they have a better grasp on scripture than all the other seminaries in the country. You know, I do agree with most of what they teach, but not all of it. But the reason really why I chose to go to the master seminary um, is when you see stuff like this, a church and a pastor really standing and really fighting for what they believe in. Cause to me, that speaks way louder than whatever you say. Um, you know, that stuff is important, but when you actually put action to those words, mm -hmm. that means a lot to me. And I saw that right at the time I was looking for seminary schools to go to. And I thought, yeah, I want to be taught by those guys because they actually seem to believe in what they're teaching. Well, if this happens again, they won't close down when you are there in person. <laughs> yeah, who knows? We'll see. But um, I do think also kind of going back to Rick Warren, I think this is also another hallmark of like the seeker sensitive church movement, right? You're not going to ruffle the feathers, you know, when you're being told that you can't open your church. You're not going to open your church, right? You're not there to sort of ruffle feathers and poke people in their chest. That's not what a seeker-sensitive church does, which is the problem with seeker-sensitive churches. Well, you can't preach the gospel, right? If you're close in your door. So what's the whole, what does it matter if it was a woman or a man pastor? You closed your door. Like if you oh, care so much about the gospel. They would have had women pastors that then. Big the of a deal. The gospel would have gone forth. Yeah, but at least there's sure. scripture that John MacArthur went off of to keep his doors open. Right. But he, but Saddleback didn't yeah, I mean, use the scripture. I mean, if you say you care about the gospel that much, that you'll twist scripture to say that women have to be pastors in order for that to happen. It's just, it's just yeah. odd. 
makes you wonder what kingdom they're fighting for. Yeah. But it is also interesting to note in there, he says that the last two things to be open or reopened in California after COVID were Disneyland and Saddleback. They opened on the same day. The last two things to be open? The last two things to be open. And that should tell you everything you know, need to know about what California thinks of your religion. But why would he bring that up? Is that like a positive for him? Yeah. I mean, he fought or gave up for a year and a half and it took him a long time to be reopened, I guess. But California thinks your religion is just entertainment for adults. When the kids can get back to their Ferris wheels, (laughs) you can get back to your, you know, whatever you do at Saddleback Church, right? Um, And that might be true of Saddleback. I don't know. You know, maybe you go there to feel good, have a good time on the weekends, right? Just the same as you would for Disneyland. I don't know. Um, But it's interesting to note the California government said, well, we can open Saddleback whenever we open Disneyland because they're the same thing. Not what I would want my church to be called or lumped in with. Yeah. And then to make that point even more interesting, (laughs) he brings up how the IRS at some point in his life years ago, they came after Rick Warren specifically as a test case to remove the tax allowance for, I guess, pastoral housing. They have a pastoral housing allowance. And he says that they came after the wrong guy. (laughs) Because he was just stubborn enough to fight it. And apparently he went to court and won over this pastoral allowance case. So it makes you wonder, like, why did you go and fight over the pastoral housing allowance, but you let the government shut the doors of your church for a year and a half and you had nothing to say? Kind of makes you wonder, right? I'm the guy that's too stubborn to let them take my housing allowance. You want me to close the doors for a year and a half? Yes, boss. Like, very weird. You weren't so yeah. stubborn anymore. Uh, bizarre. What happened? So, and then an interesting question he asks him here at the end. Uh, Russell Moore asks Rick what he thought of Asbury, uh, the Asbury Revival, or as the Gospel Coalition calls it, the Asbury Awakening. Um, <laughs> his response was, uh, boy, great. His response was, If people are critical of it, they should just shut up. (laughs) That's his response, right? Gosh. That is terrible advice, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) And as we've discussed Asbury on here, uh, we would say you are absolutely right to be critical. And in fact, Christians are called to be critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. You're called to test all things, especially in today's American Christianity. Like your pastor should be instructing you to be Bereans, right? To go to the scriptures and test even what the apostles say, test what they say. What's Rick Warren's advice? Shut up and just accept what they say. (laughs) That's awful advice. This was a podcast full of awful advice from Rick Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like those guys over there have female pastors. Just shut up and accept it. They let trans people be members of their church. Shut up and accept it. (laughs) I don't think Jesus was really Lord. Shut up and accept it. Like, that is awful advice all around. Uh, But he does mention probably why he feels that way in this podcast. He does go on to describe how um, the previous Asbury, Asbury revival in the 70s 
played an instrumental role in his life of coming to faith. Uh, apparently, he read some book about the revival when he was like 16. It really changed his faith um, and sort of set him on the path uh, toward sharing the gospel and all that sort of stuff. So, it, you know, you can see, I guess, why he's partial towards the Asbury revival. But I just think, boy, that is really bad advice to give to anybody in your church. Just shut up and accept it. Not great from Rick Warren. So, <laughs> uh, I will bring, we'll end this on a positive from Rick Warren here, something that he said. Uh, unless you have anything about the Asbury revival piece, no. but um, <laughs> he mentioned that Christianity may be declining in America, but it's exploding in the Southern hemisphere. And he mentioned that there's already more Christians in the Southern hemisphere than in the Northern hemisphere. And he seems like a trustworthy source on that. I mean, Saddleback and I think his church sort of connection as churches all over the world. I mean, there's churches, I think in every country, um, he in fact says he has churches in every country. He's the first church in the history of the world to do that. So I guess you can take his word for it. But if that's true, that fills me with great joy and great hope because all we see is the little fishbowl that we're in. Yeah. And we see Christianity declining in this country, even to the point of really being, um, you know, watered down even by people like Rick Warren. But it is great to know that, you know, in the fishbowl that we don't see, it's actually growing and it's growing very fast. And that is a positive. And, you know, it's hard for American Christians that have kind of been the breadbasket of Christianity around the world for the last, you know, 200 years to realize we might be relinquishing the reins and, uh, you know, someone like mm -hmm. Africa or South America might be taking the mantle of, you know, Christian nation or whatever, but whatever, whatever God's doing in this earth, uh, we just got to get behind. So I hope that's true. Yeah. I hope it's exploding. That is good news. Um, so that's really all we have. There's a lot more discussed in this podcast. I know we've kind of gone on and on about it, but we think these are important topics. So we'll have that stuff linked. Of course, you can go check those out. Give it a listen for yourself. We make USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at usaa.com slash bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply. For America's climate goals, investing in clean energy adds up. But what doesn't add up is an additionality requirement for clean hydrogen. Additionality would put an unnecessary and inequitable burden on domestic clean hydrogen producers and have serious consequences for America. America needs clean hydrogen, but an additionality requirement just doesn't add up. Get the facts at cleanhydrogentoday.org. Paid for by the Fuel Cell and Hydrogen Energy Association. Um, but we do have one more story that we want to touch on and kind of tie in here with Rick Warren. So um, before we get to that, though, I will just mention, if you have a free second, please take some time and drop a like. Um, if you're on YouTube or Rumble, whatever, if you're on the podcast, please subscribe. Consider leaving us a nice review. We'd be more than overjoyed for that. Um, but all those links are in the show notes. Um, you can find us, any podcasting platform that you're on to take us with you on the go. We'd love that. And then uh, also, if you're in the uh, mood to go shopping, Amazon, 
Christian Books, Best Buy, whatever it happens to be. We have affiliate links in the show notes. Consider using those. It helps the show. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And we also have links for Buy Me a Coffee. If you just got too much money and you don't know what to do with it, throw some our way. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll figure out something to do with it. So, okay. For our last story here, um, do you want to read the headline, honey? Church of England backs plans to bless gay couples considering gender neutral pronouns for God. Yes. And then just these first couple of paragraphs. The Church of England voted Thursday to officially endorse plans for priests to offer prayers of blessing for same-sex couples, even as one church body is set to launch a project that could rethink using gendered language for God. Members of the Church of England's General Synod approved plans to allow same-sex couples who have been joined in a civil marriage or civil partnership to come to church services and receive God's blessing, according to a church statement. The vote, which tallied 36 bishops in favor, four opposed, and two abstained, also included language calling for the church to lament and repent for what officials said was the failure of the church to welcome to welcome LGBT-identified people and for harm LGBT communities have experienced and continue to experience in churches. The motion also stated that it would be no proposed change to the Church of England's doctrine of marriage and that any changes to the church's prayers of love and faith should not be contrary to or indicative of a departure from the doctrine of the Church of England. Today's vote comes on the heels of a report stating the denomination will consider teaching that the God of the Bible is gender neutral, which one church spokesman claims is nothing new. Yeah, so... You know, we discussed uh, the Church of England's apostasy when it happened, I think about a month ago or so. <clears throat> but this is just how fast the slippery slope is. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, just a month ago, the Church of England was deciding on blessing same-sex couples and the LGBTQ members in the church. But with certain restrictions, of course, they weren't going to change their doctrine. That was rock solid. Right? So they told us. Now, today, they're considering voting on a gender-neutral terminology for God. You know, of course, against what God himself called himself. <laughs> so... Father. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know how you to Christ scripture. called him Father. I, I don't Our understand. Father who art in heaven, right? I mean, but again, this is just how fast that slippery slope is. Um, once you let go of the rope, it goes fast. And we're seeing it with the Church of England. And I don't think you ever need a more clear instruction on how important maintaining the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture is. Uh, And this is why you don't capitulate, you know, to those progressive Christians on God's Word and on what God's commandments are and what they say, right? You, You don't give an inch. You know, that's, like Nikki said, you fight every battle. And that was... uh. Again, one of the things that made me fall in love with uh, John MacArthur's teaching, they asked him about fighting, you know, against the government uh, shutdown of his church. And they asked him, well, when, what do you decide or how do you decide what to fight against? And he said, we fight against everything. Yeah. 
anything that comes against God's word, we fight against. And I thought, man, do I love that. You fight everything. You don't give an inch on God's word because you see what happens when you do. You know, one second you're uh, debating, "Ah, should we let LGBTQ members come in? And then the next one is like, God's gender queer. That's the next, like, it goes that fast. Um, Gosh, that's serious though, to be attacking who God is. Yeah, it's dangerous. Um, It goes on in this article and it says, Conservative Anglican deacon Kelvin Robinson said that while he agrees God cannot be sexed, you would think that these so-called liberal progressives would respect the pronouns he instructed us to use when praying to him. So again, Rick Warren's not the only one who contradicts himself. The liberal (laughs) progressives do as well. He says first, so again, here goes that slippery slope, right? First, they ignored the Bible on matters of divorce, contraception, the ordination of women, and more recently, homosexuality and marriage, Robinson told Christian Post. Now they're attempting to ignore the Bible and change the words handed down to us by Jesus Christ himself. And he mentions here that our father cannot become gender neutral any more than it could become our mother. He says, I pray for the many faithful clergymen and laity alike who find themselves within this captured institution. May they help it return to Christ. Um, And then it goes on and it says, In January, the Church of England's Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, responded to a question about whether homosexuality and same-sex marriage are sinful um, by saying the Church of England, well, by saying the Church of England's new stance. There's that word we look for. The Church of England's new stance on the issue is that it's okay as long as the couples are in committed, stable, faithful relationships. He added that same-sex married couples will be welcomed fully into the life of the church on their terms. And again, that's what they did in January. Now here we are a month and a half later or whatever, and they're getting ready to vote on God being gender neutral. Um, I can see how they can twist this, how they would think they could twist it. Because saying like a homosexual couple like of men and how they're trying to impregnate a man so he truly can be a mother. So, and, and so they'll probably argue, well, a man can be a mother, so God, you know, that's how they're going to twist it. Right. I mean, they're going to use any, anything they can shoehorn this sort of worldview into and twist it however they need to. And, you know, what's interesting is this Bishop Kelvin, or what's his name, Bishop, Kelvin Robinson, I think. I could be saying that wrong. Bishop Robinson. I saw a little video of him. You can find him on YouTube, his speech that he gave at the Synod. I didn't listen to all of it, but he made a great point. Um, It's a point that Rick Warren should answer to as well. He said, one of two things is true. Either the church has been in apostasy for 2,000 years by... Not you know, in his case, not accepting um, same-sex couples, not accepting LGBTQ. So either we've been in apostasy for two thousand years, hmm. or we're in apostasy now. So which one is it, right? You're gonna, th- and I guess they would have to say, well, we were in apostasy for two thousand. Yeah, years. but if they're claiming new revelation or realizing something in Scripture they've never seen before, it's always the new stuff. Like we always say that if it's new. 
Yeah. It wasn't Be careful of that word new. In the early church. Be careful of that word new. But great speech. Um, there at least, you know, Bishop uh, Robinson seems to have fought the good fight. So pray for Bishop Robinson. But, you know, this is why we say, and this is why the title of this is, Rick Warren is the Church of England. Because once you let go of standing on the word of God, and, you know, you decide that you know better, this is inevitably where it leads, right? You no longer have the grounds to stand on any of God's word. Because again, like we said with Rick Warren, ah, you know, 1 Timothy 3, it's so difficult to understand all these interpretations. Okay, well, I'm a drunk and I want to be an elder too. I don't really know, you know, who knows if that not giving to much wine really means what it says. You know, if we're not sure if men and women can be elders, you know, how do you know, hey, I just came to the faith yesterday. I want to be a pastor. Well, it says that you shouldn't be new to the faith. Ah, who knows what that really means? Yeah. It could mean anything, right? You know, this is, you have no ground to stand on. Right. So, I mean, it's the same thing, right? When you talk about, oh, we're going to ordain women now. Well, the scriptures seem to be pretty clear that men are to be, well, we're going to ordain women because we think it's best. Okay. And then you're like, hey, listen, Johnny, you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend out of wedlock. Why? Well, the scripture says it. Yeah, it says he shouldn't ordain women either. Oh, well, uh, just be committed and stable <laughs> and we'll accept it. We're the Church of England now, right? You know, once you let go of it, you know, you're just contradicting yourself. You know, and especially when you can reject the clearly detailed instructions, like in places like 1 Timothy, Titus 1, in favor of, again, bending to that culture, you know, by contorting your sort of beliefs to these more obscure passages, um, then there's always room for more of that. Oh, yeah. They know how to do it. It's, they're so, they know exactly what they're doing. They know how to do it when they want to do it. Right. It's just... Satan's very wise. He understands scripture. <laughs> it's not like Satan's been blind to the, what the Bible says. He's very clear about it. Um, we have no doubt there. But, you know, this is how you get into things like Nikki was saying, where God created man in his image, right? Male and female. And then that becomes, well, we're all created in God's image, even the trans folk. All righty then. Well, then the two shall become one flesh, right? And then that becomes, well, God is love and love is love. So invite the same sex couples in, you know, because if you can't stand for the Bible, and stand for it in all of its parts, then you really can't stand for it in any of its parts, right. given enough time. Yep. And this is where Rick Warren is saying he wants to head. So um, uh, we listened to what our sermon recommendation is going to be at the end of this. We listened to this sermon by one of my seminary professors. Uh, his name is Brian Biedebach. And uh, he was preaching on Ephesians 2, chapter 1, verse 3. And he brought up this great point. You know, he said he'd been, he's been a missionary in Africa for, you know, on and off for 20 years or whatever. And he said, you would go to Africa for three or four years and come back. And he was like, it was always interesting every time I'd come back and just flip on the TV and kind of see how, you know, what they've allowed on TV every three to four years and how it's gotten worse and worse and worse. So More he said he went and read the FCC guidance on what's allowed on television because the FCC determines you know, what's allowed to be aired on public uh, airwaves or 
broadcast publicly. And he said the FCC code, interestingly, hasn't changed. They don't allow what it kind of says, and I'm paraphrase, paraphrasing here. He says, they don't allow what's obscene or offensive to be aired on TV. But then he says, you know, that that statement was the same statement from the 1950s with the FCC. In the 1950s, they didn't allow what was obscene and offensive to be aired on television. And in 2000, you know, 10 or 15, whenever that sermon was, they don't allow what's obscene or offensive to be aired on television. So then you ask yourself, well, television's gotten much worse, much more obscene and offensive. So how is that the case? Well, it's because the FCC also states that what they deem as offensive or obscene is determined by what, obs- uh, what society would consider obscene or obs- offensive. So as society trends downward morally, the FCC just allows more obscene content. That's the way it works. And this is what we're seeing with places like the Church of England. And we might be seeing the beginnings of this with Rick Warren and Saddleback. When you let culture drive your beliefs, they will always drive you away from God. You'll always be led into a wide road theology. And I think we're seeing the beginnings of that. I mean, <clears throat> who know? I mean, obviously the seeker sensitive church as a whole has kind of always been that. Um, but, you know, not long before you wind up in the Church of England's shoes and you're just full on apostate, you know, wearing rainbow sashes with trans preachers, right? The non-binary Anglican preacher that we talked about a few months ago. You know, you're not far. I mean, that slippery slope is... It slips fast, and that's why you need to hold fast to the Word of God as best you can. And again, understanding none of us have a 100% accurate interpretation, but it doesn't mean you just jam cultural whims into your interpretation or let the secular left determine your interpretation. You stand on the Word of God as best you can understand it. You seek godly counsel from wise men, and if you need to make adjustments and corrections, you do. But you shouldn't be having these wild swings. The Lord says homosexuality is an abomination. And then tomorrow you're like, God says we want all LGBTQ members in the church. What happened? Well, I read the Great Commission. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? I don't know, but it fits with culture. Um, And I got a lot of churches. I'm Rick Warren. I wrote a book. Don't you know? So... I don't know, it's just putting man before God, it's idolatry. It's absolutely idolatry. So do you have any final thoughts here on Rick Warren, the Church of England? Um, Anything we discussed here today before our sermon recommendation? I don't have anything new to say. All right, yeah, just, boy, cling to the Word of God. Cling to it, stand on it. Don't be afraid to stand on it. Don't be ashamed of what it says. Don't be ashamed. um, And you won't be steered wrong. So as we mentioned, our sermon recommendation will be in addition to the two podcasts that we've mentioned, Rick Warren's here, but then also John MacArthur's sort of pastoral transition. So our sermon here is from, like I mentioned, Brian Biedebach. It's an older sermon, about 10 years old, but just really good sermon on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. 
explaining how you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God came to save sinners. Praise God. So that is all we have. We will be back on Monday with our daily devotions. I'm excited about these daily devotions. I think they're good ones. So (laughs) make sure you tune in on Monday on the podcast. And um, we'll see you then. God bless. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.